0: Hey, everybody. This is Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where we talk about leaders and the time in their life when they chose to cross the line from leading with their head to leading with their hearts and from leading with their hearts to leading with their heads. This is a podcast not so much about leadership, but about leaders and how they got to be where they are today. And on this episode, actually, it's a part one episode because it was so good. It was so chock full of good stuff uh, that we broke it into two parts. We are interviewing Steve Cook. Steve is the president of Dynetics, uh, Lido's company, but way more than that. Steve has an incredible journey. He has worked for NASA for years. He won numerous awards and as such as the, the NASA Outstanding Achievement Medal. He, he won the uh, National Outstanding Leadership Medal for, for his work. I could go on and on. There's a the plethora of list of awards that Steve has won. He transitioned out of NASA and is now leading another group at Dynetics with a uh, Over 4,000 people. All of that sounds impressive, right? Well, the thing that you need to know is Steve is is a man who understands leadership. He is someone who can operate below the line and above the line, but he had to learn. He had to learn to do that. And these podcasts that you're about to listen to, part one and part two, they take us on a journey. So if you're a below the line, technically driven, task oriented, driven, type A type person, you're going to love part one because Steve talks about all the things he did kind of below the line and, and how, he, how he you know lived his life for achievements and, and really garnered those achievements. But then something happened and we stop the tape right there. <laughs> and then part two comes on. And I want you to hear part two because part two is where he really begins to understand if he is going to leave a legacy of leadership, he's got to learn to operate above the line and how he does that. And what drives him to do that is tragic and remarkable. So I want you to lean in and listen to this podcast. And I think if you do listen listen to part one and then get ready for part two, you want to hear both because I truly think it's going to make a difference in your life. Let's jump into our conversation right now as we cross the line with Steve Cook. Well, it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming, but we got him here. We've got Steve Cook in the house and we are excited. Steve, thank you, my friend, for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's a, it's an honor and uh, we got a lot to talk about. We've listen, Steve is a dear friend as I talked about in the intro and we've uh, we've been through some stuff together and that's what uh, galvanizes friends I think that's what solidifies friendship if you will and we've we've walked through some some hard things and you've been through some transitions lately I have. on taking on this new position of leadership it has not been easy it's been very difficult but what you have been entrusted with and and uh, but we're not going to talk a whole lot about that today uh, although we'll certainly mention it and and want to want to make sure that we talk about what's appropriate there but I really care about Steve you know this podcast is not so much about leadership as it is about leaders, and you, uh, of all the leaders I know, and I get to, to walk with leaders from from across the world. You have exemplified what strong servant leadership is about, and I mean that. Your your journey of leadership is it's just just amazing. So I, I'm excited to tell your story today. I truly am. And uh, and uh, so what I want us to do is to jump right in, and I'll shut up. So like, we want to hear from you, not me. So let's go back. Uh, and we're gonna look at a day in the life of Steve Cook. Uh, You're eight years old, what's going on? Walk us through a day
1: in your life. So eight years old, uh, this is 1975, so I just aged myself uh eight years old i am a inquisitive uh love in air all things aviation all things space Uh, i love to draw i love to create i love to i'm always coming up with some new idea i would go into my dad with this design for this robot i wanted to build uh, or I'd come up with some new Lego creation or I'd have my erector set out and I built this new thing or I would have watched the, I'd watch star Trek, right? That was one of my inspirations. Uh, and you're I pointing to your cup there. Want to show us point, what that yes. is? Uh, would, would, would wear that, uh, wear that with pride because we're in the middle of building the space shuttle in 1975 mm. and, uh, space program. We had just been to the moon. I remember at age, uh, at age five watching the mm. last, um, and walk on the moon in uh, in 1972 and that was great and and I remember sitting there in front of that TV as one of the first memories I actually have and so I was all things If they flew, if it flew, if it was in space, I was all over it, you know, and I love that show because it was about discovery and new things. And that's just kind of the kind of the person I was. And Mm. it really rolled into later on in my life where my passion was Mm. uh, the career I wanted to take on, which was aerospace engineering. And and that's what I found is that's a great passion, but I actually have more, far more passion for people. Wow. How about that? So it started off as a, as a five-year-old
0: watching the, that, that last man walk and you thought, wow, I want to and then yeah. by the time you were six,
1: seven, eight, you were all about space. It was all about space. And if it was flying, I have a picture of me and my dad standing next to an airplane, you know, I'm a pilot, uh, blessed to have a, an airplane and I never thought I'd have that. And I have, there's a picture of, of me when I'm about uh, seven years old and I got my cowlick staying straight up in the air, standing next to the plane with my dad when he took me up on my first flight. How old were you? Uh, I was probably about seven. Seven years old. And uh, I've got a picture of that. Oh my goodness. And uh, I'll never forget that. And that, all of those kinds of experiences, you know, solidified for me, all right, I love this. I'm passionate about this and still am. So what did your, what did your dad do? What what kind of- So my dad was an electrical engineer. Uh, He worked for a company called Control Data, which is now part of Seagate. He built uh, hard drives back when hard drives were about this big around, Yeah, you know? and. and so he was a production manager and yeah. helped deliver new technology. All
0: right. So growing up in your home, what was it like? Was he a disciplinarian? Was your mom a
1: disciplinarian? Did you have brothers and sisters? What was it like in the cook home? So at eight years old, I was two years away from having a sister. So uh, there's almost 10 years between my sister and I. Wow. And uh, But I grew up in a wonderful home, very loving home. Uh, very, very definitely disciplinarian. My dad and my mother, both. my mother was a school teacher and uh, dad was an engineer. Uh, they were, I'll call it old school in the way they raised me, you know, which was, there was a lot of expectations uh, and there was accountability and responsibility and that was driven in from mm-hmm. an early age. Also driven in the, the ability to think on our own, think critically, uh, think differently about things, uh, but always that, and that let's try something new. Well, there it is again. The
0: foundation uh, of learning was taught at a very young age to Steve. This is what we find in, in all of these effective leaders, that, that at a young age, they begin thinking creatively and thinking critically, as he said, uh, I think it's a great lesson for us all.
1: My mother was always introducing me to something new, uh, whether it was going to an art museum or going to see a concert. Uh, We're going to the movies. She loved to go to the movies as a little kid. She and her sister go to the movies and and that opened up those things. And my dad gave me experiences. We had a cabin on the lake and Mm. and whether it was hunting or fishing or or being a part of lots of different things or woodworking. My dad was a woodworker, taught me how to work with my hands, which I still love to do. And uh, and so it was, I couldn't imagine a better upbringing uh, for one to have. And it really set me up. That foundation really established the rest of my life and I owe my parents an incredible debt that I frankly I can never can pay. Mm. So that foundation you talked about let's move up
0: let's say you're a preteen 11 12 13 somewhere in there and you said they 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 taught you how to think critically. Can you can you give us an example? Because I think that that's so important today in in leaders. How did they
1: how did they instill that in you? Absolutely. the, the fundamentally was hey don't just accept things for the way they are. Understand the why, right? And that didn't mean ask why on every question, right? right. Uh and I, I was my my dad nicknamed himself. He says, I'm hey dad, because I would always like, hey dad, what about this? Hey dad, what about <laughs> I that? <love> <laughs> and so I was it was hey dad. That was he, he jokes today that, that was that was his name. It wasn't <laughs> dad, it was hey dad. And so, but it was always the instilling the curiosity to ask more, understand more, why is something the way it is, but not not to be spoon-fed the why. Go go find out why. Ooh, that's good. Go, go play with this electronic set, go play with this uh, director set. Hey, go be involved in Boy Scouts and do what you want to do with that and make of that what you want. And so it was, let me choose what I wanted to do. Let me get engaged in things. It was not spoon feeding at all, but it was creating a, a, a loving environment and opportunity of, of, well, basically an environment of opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what, what did I want to do? We didn't have a lot of money. We were middle class, uh, right. but we had the opportunities to do certain things, you know, and, and, not, and not other things. And that, that kind of led to things in life. And we would travel. Uh, we we have for a long time, we had a pull-behind pop-up camper and we'd travel all over the country. We'd take a trip in the summer or two and we'd explore something new and we'd learn lots of new things. Uh, just from that. So I was always those kinds of things that really kind of give me that drive to, to explore more and do more and understand more. And again, think critically, because I think that's that's an important, as a leader, you have to be able to do that. You can't just accept uh, the reason something is because we've always done it that way. I was definitely not raised that way. But I just heard you say that you guys would explore and learn. So they taught you to be a lifelong learner, it sounds like. Absolutely. We didn't call it that then. Right. None of these terms, right? Critical thinking, lifelong Uh, learner. I didn't (laughs) learn those until later (laughs) in life. But that's what they were doing, right? That's what they were doing. They were both kids of the Depression, right? Came up through World War II. Yeah. Little kids and and work through that. You know, my mother's uh, family came over from Lebanon. She was a oh. first generation in the U.S. and you know came over with nothing. Brought over his family. My uncle, my, my my uncles and my grandfather uh, Nicholas uh, created a business and were very successful at. So they were entrepreneurs. So that that kind of a mindset, I think, is a, a little bit of genetics that are in my blood. So let me ask you this: Your mom came over from Lebanon. Didn't? No, my grandfather did. Your grandfather came uh, yes, over from Lebanon. I'm mother's side
0: yes on your mother's side and yes. so where did what did your parents meet and i'm gonna get back to lebanon in just a minute tell me about your parents
1: Where they meet? so my dad's uh basically i have a small farm town in iowa mm-hmm. 500 people Fremont, iowa my mother from the big city of oh, cedar wow. rapids he's yeah. just about the size of Huntsville. yeah uh and uh when he was in college uh he finished up he ended up in cedar rapids he was working in construction one summer and uh Met her at the diner. Love went it. into the place where uh, where she worked, which was her father's restaurant, her parents' restaurant, and started asked her out on a date. And and went. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. we're, we're going to call time out for a
0: minute. Okay. In, in terms of the, the story of your life, because we're going to get back to that in just a moment. Sounds good. Um,
1: you're you're preteen right now, yep. exploring, learning things. I definitely have a mouth on me at preteen, by the way. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> oh, yeah. I get you in a bit of trouble oh, from time to time. Many times I got in trouble. <laughs> uh,
0: I want to talk to you about immigration for a minute. You you okay. come from a family of immigrants. Yes, and, I do. Uh, talk to us about your perspective of where we are today. Let's let's just pick your brain a minute about uh, immigration and and where our country is, and what do you see, and what do you think needs I'd love your wisdom on what sure. needs to happen. Please hold up and stop and listen to this to this person who is uh, who comes from a family of immigrants whose whose grandparents immigrated to our country because it, it is a wonderful um, testimony, if you will, of how important uh, the immigration issue is and how we we must celebrate who we are as a country. So li- listen to what Steve has to say.
1: A couple of perspectives. Number one, we are a country of immigrants, and I think that's what makes this country so much so great, right? right. And yes. while we've had that—the diversity of ethnicities, the diversity of culture, the diversity of thoughts—is what has made the United States, you know really unique right even today it's very unique people move around and you know you go to Europe and but people consider themselves I grew up in Germany this is my they don't they don't consider themselves as international I think as we are right, right. Uh, in the United very States that, that's a blessing right that we have that uh, and that's always been an opportunity so it's always been an opportunistic place to come and I think that's great I think the u.s always wants to be the place where I would love to aspire to go here because I can make my way I can I can I can be a part of something making my my way and, yes. I, and 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 with new opportunities. Right. And that's what this country was founded on. I think that's incredibly important. I do think today though, one of the challenges we have is you have to do it in a you have to do it in a legal way. We have we have we have to do it in a orderly way, in a legal way where people can come to this country, bring their best, uh, contribute, become citizens if they choose to do that. Uh I understand why that we have such an illegal immigration problem because we are we're such a shining light, particularly when you look uh, you know, uh, in Central America. Uh South America, I mean, they're living in many cases such poverty, I understand that. And if I was them, I would do everything I could to get across the border any way I could. I respect that, I do not blame them, that's what I would do. Yeah, Uh, I think that's what I would do. Uh, But at the same time, we have to do. We have our country of laws. We have regulations. We need to be able to, to productively let let folks in and contribute to our society, uh, and not not become a drain on the society. Right? We can't have more outlays than income. Right? We need to be have people that want to come here that want to contribute to our future. And I think that's largely what happens wow. even today.
0: Well said and well articulated. Thank you for your wisdom. I think that's exactly the course that uh, we would hope. And and uh, and pray our leaders would would take that yes. we provide. I'll continue to be a country of immigrants who provide. Absolutely. Legal opportunities for yes. all, and yes. uh, I think that's that's. And it make makes us answer. better, right? It makes, oh, it makes, it makes us much our society well, better. It's our identity. It's who we are. It is who we it are. It's wonderful. All right, back to this okay. smart mouth, right. uh, <laughs> 11, 12, yeah.
1: 13. So what? The did, word tween didn't even it wasn't uh, even uh, in the that vocabulary way. back then, right?
0: How, how would that mouth get you in trouble? Because you know, today we we all know that Steve Cook, you know, he's fairly direct, and but <laughs> but you've learned to to you know to train that thing. But talk a little bit about back when you were that age how
1: did it get you in trouble yeah. well my parents created me to be inquisitive right sometimes i take that too far right <laughs> and uh when, when i get a little bit uh, have a little bit of a uh, smart mouth on me about well i don't want to do it because of this or 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 i you know I, I should be able to do this or why can't i do my own thing And that's just part of a natural boundary push right and that but that's when I think parents, and this is why I love my parents so much, they push back. Love right? it. It wasn't just, love okay, it. you can run away with that. No, right? no, 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 no. I, I was gonna be called on it right then and there. There wasn't some long, drawn-out process. And by the way, we got over it, and then we moved on. Moved on. But there was correction, because children need correction. Wait. Children, oh, my goodness. Children thrive on you know, discipline. You're not You're not sitting there telling me that children
0: need discipline, are you? Yes, Today's I am. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, it's so true, and as I talk to leaders, you include you've done it again. You've exemplified that. Back in the day, when you had dis- consequences for your behavior, yes, we learned so much from that. We, we grew from that. And st- instead of excusing and blaming and entitling, which is where I think
1: societally, that's where we've gone to today, and just, it's very disturbing to yeah, me. Yeah. And and I'm very concerned because what's when I see generations of the next generations coming forward, and I don't see societally the drive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, when my when my Twenty-six-year-old son says, "Man, Dad, I'm looking at these young kids, and he's 26. He says they don't have the drive, and they don't have the 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 passion to want to go move. That's what's always made society move forward. That's what's made our country so great. That's right. uh, In what we do, and." we, 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 we've lost some of that. We've lost our love of the God, right and we've lost our focus on those kinds of things. What really matters mm-hmm. in our lives That's so true. and that faith is is a core part of it. And by the way, that that was that was a core part of my life growing up was, was faith in God and understanding uh, his will and his mm-hmm. desires for us and and you know we need to get back to that kind of a mindset. Uh, okay you know call me old-fashioned but you know
0: having a life that uh, is driven by your faith and and by uh, hard work and discipline being willing to to discipline your children um, wow uh, it sounds like those are some incredibly important traits for our family that perhaps um, is rare in today's culture and you as a young child experienced the consequences for your behavior now here we are I'm moving you forward a bit. Now you're in, uh, you're in high school. Okay. Who, who were you in high school? Were you an athlete? Were you a, a,
1: a nerd? Were you a, what were you? You know, it was multiple things, funny enough. I, I was one of those that I, I had, when I, when I, I'll just give you an example. All right. So at senior day, uh, we have in my high school, we had 2,500 in my graduate class, big high school. And we got up and they had a senior day where they gave away awards, right? For different things. and. I want an award for calculus and I want an award for physics and I want an award for architecture and I want an award for woodworking and I want an award for working with the sports department and the groups in those different groups didn't know I did all those different things because I was interested in a lot of different things. I didn't pick just one thing I was going to do. Wow. My, my, that's I, I was not all that athletic. I tried baseball, I wasn't that good at it. Uh, but I loved, uh, I, lo- I was an athletic trainer. I was a student athletic trainer, and I did that. Where you? And I took industrial arts and wood shop uh, every year, you know, as a part of what I did. Uh, but I was also took calculus and physics and drove into that because I knew I wanted to go into something technical. One day. So I was Amazing. very diverse in what I liked, and, and I was good with that. Uh, I was pretty shy. I didn't date much, uh, and I had a really hard time asking for girls out, uh, but I, I got over that later in life. So in high school, you were too busy. You were doing calculus, physics, uh, architect, sports, yep. whatever. You were you were too busy. i was busy doing things and i wanted to keep active in things and i you know i was just part of who i was so where is you're in iowa in this, this is minnesota now yeah. we're in minnesota Okay, yeah. we're in minnesota yeah right, we're in minnesota and you graduate
0: high school what happens next obviously well, you have options but what happens
1: yeah so i end up going to the university of minnesota go to uh um, the Institute of Technology there, and I become, I go after uh, an aerospace engineering degree, bachelor's in aerospace engineering. Started into that, loving it. Uh, funny story, All right, so I'm a freshman, and there's a senior there, and his name is Don Deming. Don, if you're listening to this, you'll remember this. They peered us up, and Don told me, this is what the next four years is gonna be like for you. This is what it's like to go through a program. And by the way, it was not spoon-fed. You had to figure stuff out. Right. right. There was not no, the no. guide of this, this, this. <laughs> you, but, but I think, by the way, right. that's a good thing, right? Because you had it caused you to go ask questions and figure it out. Mm-hmm. He said, this is what's going to happen. And pretty much then I went, I am still friends today with Don. He and I tag up from time My to time. We've, we've bounced into each other. Our careers have kind of intersected a few times here and there. He's still on He's still on LinkedIn with me and uh, all these years later, you know, it's 33 wow. years later, uh, we still uh, we still interchange from time to time. It started with him speaking into your life, helping you yeah. with a bit of, here's what's gonna happen. He was a he was a kid from Minnesota. I was a kid from Minnesota. You know, he was 21, I was 17 and off we went. My goodness. So. You're at Minnesota, you you, you go through college, get a four-year undergrad. I got a four-year degree, that's right. Yeah, and then what happened? Well, so I got my arm twisted. Uh, I was also what's called a cooperative education student. And so I would, my last two years, I would do six months in industry. I would go to San Diego. So I was 19 years old, picked up and moved to San Diego. (laughs) My parents thought I was out of my mind. Uh, but they later told me it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I grew up and I had to go to, go to San Diego from Minnesota and figure out how life worked. And that was a credible experience. I love that. Uh, I had a graduate professor twisted my arm to applying for a graduate uh, program sponsored by NASA and I was selected for it. And I said, Oh, where am I going to go? NASA, I'm going to go spend a summer at a field center. I'm going to go, I'm going to Florida or I'm going to Houston. This is going to be great. They said, no, you're, you're going to Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and my family said, What? You're going to Alabama? And I, I had to go to the library. I remember this. I went to the library and looked up Huntsville, Alabama. Oh my god. And I'm like, oh, that's where Werner von Braun was. Oh, this this could be great. And I come tooling down here in my 1979 Dodge Omni and uh, and this would have been in 1989 and I come rolling down here and learning about Huntsville, Alabama, which was a much smaller place back then. Right. It, it sure was. And and you were how old then? You were I was early? I was
0: a uh, 21. Yeah, 21. Here we go in your Omni, and and you, you. this is a, is it an, in, how long are we working? How long? Is so this is just for the summer. Stint, just for the summer. summer okay. And
1: then when I, when I went back, did my graduate work, and then NASA hired me a year later, and I moved down here in 1990. So when you first got to Huntsville mm-hmm. from Iowa,
0: in Minnesota. T- yep. um, I'm sorry, from Minnesota, I keep saying Iowa for some reason. Well, that's where my folks are from. Okay, good. Yep. So from Minnesota, you're down, da- oh my gosh, here we are, you're in Huntsville, first impressions, first thoughts when you landed in, when you, when you drove in. You're looking for a place to stay. Whatever. What was your first, first beautiful condition? city? Correct.
1: Beautiful city, isn't it? Uh, it's beautiful kind of surprise, city. Huh? Uh, saw the Space and Rocket Center. Yeah, I'm like, I'm in heaven, right? <laughs> I, and I remember going to the Space and Rocket Center. My like probably the second day I was down here. Yeah, and this is before you had the the Saturn Five was outside back then. This is whole yeah. am, right? and I didn't have the Davidson Center or the big one out front, and just walking around and in awe of that place. I spent a lot of time going through there to the point where I can still give a tour through there. And I know the hardware, and I was so enthralled with Apollo hardware. And my summer I spent down here, I would go to the technical library on my spare time, and I would just dive into old journals, old books, reports that that Von Braun and his team were, and I just studied that. Hmm. I just took it in because I was like, these people created this all right, from whole cloth. They went from barely getting off the planet in 1961 to landing on the moon in 1969. I mean, incredible. How did they do that? And I was so fascinated to understand more about how they worked, how it worked together. And I would just go spend time with, there were still people that, there at NASA at the time that had worked on the program, right? we young right. engineers. And uh and I would just spend time with them. How did this work? Goodness how did you create this? How did you go about doing this? And it was fascinating to me. The technology was fascinating, but how the people put all that together was even more fascinating. So are you single still? You're single at this time? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened next? So um got married. Uh well, wait, you had to yeah. meet her first. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you got so I married a Southern girl? Uh, Marquita was a beautiful beautiful young lady. I uh, mm-hmm. married her in 1991 and mm-hmm. we had two, two beautiful children in 94 and 96 uh, Katie and Charlie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing. Experience. And it was funny was my when I was a kid, we were taking those trips I was talking about. One time we stopped in Tennessee. And, uh, and I told my dad very blunt, blunt, bluntly and honestly, I was probably 14 or 15, Dad, I'm going to marry me a Southern Belle someday. And, and he remembered that. And, you know, and you years later, I did. Um, <laughs> I uh, did. Raised your family in, in Huntsville. Raised family in Huntsville, yep. And then uh, we lived in Athens for a while as well, but okay. in the Huntsville area. Yep. 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 And, and your career at NASA began to grow? Yes. In, in Took Boston. on more and more programs. Uh, I ended up working at NASA for 20 years. And uh, I managed the, uh, the last big program I had was the Ares Launch Vehicle Program, which is the space launch system today. Wow. Which we're getting ready for a launch here sometime this summer.
0: Yeah, it's got to feel good to see that legacy that you had a hand in. It does. continue. It does. Even though you're not in NASA now. No. But what you started, what you built, what you
1: Absolutely. contributed and to. Absolutely. It was a fabulous team. I learned a lot. One of the things I loved about working for NASA was they kind of threw you in the deep end, and mm-hmm. you had to figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, and then at that point, your career kind of got chosen for you, right, because mm-hmm. you you helped select it. And they give you a lot of opportunities, which, again, going back to that creative nature of those things, my parents helped instill in me early on, loving Star Trek. I'm like, I'm in the best possible place I could be. <laughs> you were right?
0: in heaven. Well, let, let's talk about that transition a little bit because you're there. Um, you you kind of were at the pinnacle of NASA. Then you transitioned and really started on a new frontier, right? Yes.
1: So 2009, uh, we are... We were flying our first test vehicle, uh, the first uh, NASA full-up uh, rocket test since the space shuttle in 1981. And I uh, actually have a picture of uh, the rocket, the Ares-1X, the test vehicle, taking off the launch pad and the space shuttle is sitting on the other launch pad, oh, and uh, which was amazing. And we had built the largest solid rocket motor on the world. We built a brand new uh, rocket engine. We stood up a new manufacturing uh, capability at Marshall Space Flight Center and we were on a roll, and I felt like I had I had done a lot of the things that I wanted to do. I was about halfway through my career. I thought, I thought you know, this is a good time to make a change, and I'm mm. ready to make a change to the private sector. I saw some things mm. coming on the decision side, on the government side, that I just really couldn't support, and um, decided this was a good time to make a change. Yeah. And so I started looking for the where, where would be my next home. And where did you land? I had a company called where I'm at today, Dynetics. <laughs> in fact, when I when I interviewed for the job there, the president at the time said, "We look forward to you retiring with Dynetics." And I thought, well, that was a, that was an interesting. That was 13 years ago. That was an interesting thing for somebody to say, especially in, in this day and age, especially. But even then, and it's been a uh, fantastic run since we've been to Dynetics.
0: Well, that was fascinating. I mean, to hear uh, just this part of Steve's life. You know, he he grew up and and we see this pattern, guys, all the time. You know, great leaders, they, they, they are taught to think critically. They're encouraged to to ask why by their parents and and they're encouraged to to find out how to solve things and to go explore for themselves. He talked about being a, a lifelong learner. You begin to see these patterns of what made him into the man he is today. And we see that in men and women who are strong leaders today it didn't just happen uh, in an instant these characteristics he called it the foundation that he was so thankful for of his upbringing of his raising taught him to think critically steve tells us i think some incredible insight that really only he could share from his perspective about immigration uh, coming from a family of of immigrants and i thought it was really brilliant uh, the way he put that and and what a what insight that we can all take away even on a on a national level. And uh, then as he continued to work, you see these achievements uh, add up and, and he found himself at Dianetics. Uh, here he is positioning. He actually, what we didn't say in part one is he came to Dynetics and started a, really a brand new space division. He stood that thing up and built it. And now today leading as president of Dynetics, over 4,000 people and yet you haven't heard the rest of the story. So I invite you, stay tuned for part two, because part two uh, is, is challenging. It's tragic, as I mentioned in the intro. It's beautiful. You need to hear the rest of the story. So hey, thanks for listening to part one today. Thank you for taking the time. I hope you've garnered some real nuggets from it. Thank you for crossing the line with us. Make sure you tune in to part two as we continue to make a difference in the lives of leaders.